All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. Today is an analytics Tuesday. I'm your host, Darren Freeman. We're going to be looking at some PFF grades and analytics to discuss in detail more about this week 13 loss that the Falcons had against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as well as talking about the potential return of Hayden Hurst and what he could do in terms of impacting the Falcons offense down the stretch. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at falcfans, and of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and today's Locked On Falcons podcast is brought to you by On Location, On Location is the official hospitality partner of the NFL. It's the only place to score a once in a lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Just visit on location exp.com slash SB 56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. So guys, uh, today's episode is a little different than what we normally do each and every Tuesday here on Locked on Falcons. Normally, I would have a guest on to sort of recap the most recent game. And, and obviously, this is the recent loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week 13. Uh, but uh, no guest today. I was being lazy uh, this past week. And instead of inviting people, as I often have done too much over the last couple of years, uh, to come on the podcast uh, for Tuesday episodes to talk about some other loss, a new loss for the Falcons. You know, I, I kind of dragged my feet last week uh, because I didn't necessarily want to have to do that anymore because, you know, I knew going into the Sunday, or at least I had a really strong suspicion that they would wind up losing this box game. So I didn't necessarily reach out to anybody last week to come on the show. So instead we're going to borrow a page from what several other locked on shows on the network do on this particular day, which is look at the analytics, which in other words is look at the pro football focus grades that dropped on Monday uh, for this Tuesday show. And obviously, you know, the big story from the week 13 loss of Tampa Bay was the loss of for the Falcons in the trenches. And that'll be sort of the focus of some of the analytics that we'll get into on today's episode. Then we'll sort of get into some quick hitters, talk a little bit more about some of the skill position players, whether, you know, talking a little bit more about, you know, Mike Davis's and Russell Gage's big days. We'll talk about some of the young uh, nickel cornerbacks and, and those guys struggles to keep Chris Godwin in check. And we'll talk a little bit more about sort of the different performances that Richie Grant and um, Darren Hall had in this game. But starting off with the trench battle, Pro Football Focus had the Falcons giving up three sacks and five quarterback hits instead of the five sacks and 11 hits that the official game book had. And that's in part because the game book sounds, counts sacks as hits. So it's really five sacks and six hits. Um, you know, but, you know, PFFs 
numbers mean that two of their sacks were not attributed to the Falcons blockers. And we probably can guess one of those was, uh, or we know one of those was on Matt Ryan, according to PFF, which is likely the first one, which was a cleanup sack by Indomit and Sue and likely tallied as a coverage sack. And you can make, you can quibble that maybe Matt Ryan should have done a better job getting rid of the ball or avoiding the pressure in the pocket and throwing the ball away or whatever the case may be and took that sack. Um, the second sack that PFF doesn't seem to count is probably the third sack of the game, which was the first one by Vita Vea. And he sort of came clean up the middle on a stunt play. And it looked like Mayfield, because he went to go help out Jake Matthews, failed to pick him up. That would have been his assignment. But I'm guessing that PFF didn't want to necessarily attribute that sack to him. Uh, they did wind up giving Mayfield two other uh, two out of those three sacks, as well as a quarterback hit. And that quarterback hit was likely to Vea at the end of the game. Lindstrom and McGarry also were credited with giving up a hit each. And I believe both of those were to William Golston in this game. And Golston's hit uh, was probably against McGarry on that third and two uh, play call that we talked about on yesterday's episode. That was the questionable play call in the fourth quarter. And that particular series that included that questionable play call where the Falcons uh, went for it on third and two, took a sack, got intentional grounding, and then punted on fourth and 12 at a point in the game where you probably wanted to be a little bit more aggressive and go for it on fourth down, given that you were down 10 points. That particular series uh, was a very problematic one uh, from the stat sheets in terms of how often Matt Ryan was hit. Uh, Matt Ryan officially had five dropbacks on that play and was hit on three of those, according to the official game book. And there was a fourth hit that didn't count on a sixth dropback because that particular play was nullified by a holding penalty on tight end Lee Smith and he you know he still gave up a hit uh, I think to Raheem Nunez uh, Roches or n- whatever his name is um, the backup nose tackle for the box and he held that guy and still uh, got beat to, to give up the hit. Uh, and so that was really the point in the game where the box were able to pin their ears back uh, up 10 points and, and knowing that the Falcons were have to get in a straight drop back passing game. And we've seen, this has been a problem for this Falcons offensive line throughout the season, particularly early in the year. And it's been a contributing factor as we've discussed a number of times to why Arthur Smith's play calling has been so conservative uh, this past season. Uh, now, when you look at the play in the trenches on the bright side, according to PFF, Matt Hennessy was not credited with giving up a single pressure in this game on 31 pass blocking snaps. You compare that to Drew Dahlman, who platooned with him in the first half, who gave up three pressures on 18 snaps in addition to those two botched uh, exchanges there. Uh, Caleb McGarry did give up that one hit to William Golson, but other than that, he was not credited with giving up a pressure. So this is just a brief detour to Kayla McGarry Island. Uh, Shaq Barrett had a single hit and hurry in this game. That hit was on Kyle Pitts. I'm assuming that hurry probably was on Kayla McGarry or, or on somebody else to tight end. I'm sorry. Cause obviously Kayla McGarry didn't get up a pressure, but I don't know who Shaq Barrett's hurry was against. Uh, but you know, we talked about before one of the indicators of Kayla McGarry's progress this season that so many folks insist doesn't exist is the fact that players like Shaq Barrett now, not only in week two, but now in this week 13 game, as well as Brian Burns earlier this season. And obviously there's another test coming up this week where we hope Caleb McGarry will pass that test as well, where players that Caleb McGarry in previous years really struggled against mightily struggled against have basically, you know, not made a major impact over the course of, of these games this season. And that is an indicator that Caleb McGarry has shown a lot more 
more progress uh, than a lot of people are willing to give him credit for. Uh, so, you know, when you look at the pass blocking grades, it, it makes it seem like the offensive line was not awful as it initially looked. Uh, Matt Hennessy earned a 83 pass blocking grade, which was the highest among the offensive linemen. Jake Matthews had a 74. Caleb McGarry had a 68. And Chris Lindstrom had a 64, despite giving up four pressures. Mayfield earned a 35 pass blocking grade. Dolman was a 29. Pitts, Lee Smith, Kobe Gossett, uh, who came into the game on a few snaps as a blocking tight end, were credited with giving up three hits of their own or um, were on the lower end of, or at least Pitts and Gossett was, Lee Smith, because that play, his holding call was nullified. Uh, his pass blocking grade did not suffer in this game, and he got dinged, I think, when PFF grades it out as penalties and whatnot separately from that stuff. Um, you know, when you look at it overall, Matt Ryan was pressured on quote unquote only um, 38% of his dropbacks, which is not a super high number. Typically 35% is, is the number that I look at personally that I've looked at for basically the last decade as the number that you want to hit. Uh, if you, if you're a competent pass rush in the NFL, you want to pressure the quarterback at least 35% of the time. Uh, and if your offensive line is doing its job, it's only allowing pressure on no more than 35%. So 38% is more than that, but it's not a massively high number. Again, not a good number, but certainly not something where it's like, oh, Matt Ryan was pressured on like 46% or 58% of his dropback. So, you know, the offensive line, while not playing particularly well, the analytics say that it's probably not as bad as the stat sheet in our initial uh, thought processes thought it was, at least for a, a number of individual offensive linemen. But it was particularly bad for a couple of other individuals looking at the two rookies in Jalen Mayfield and Drew Dolman. Now, looking on the flip side of the trench battle, you had Tom Brady, who was hardly pressured in this game. He was only pressured on 8% of his dropbacks. And I'm not even sure I've ever seen a pressure percentage that low uh, based off of PFF data. And I've been looking at PFF data for the better part of 15 years, uh, although they haven't necessarily had that exact number for the entirety of it. But that just basically makes him the least pressured quarterback this past week. And, and going sort of breezing through PFF's data over this season, I think that makes him the lowest, the least pressured quarterback in any single game, at least anybody who played the majority of his team snaps uh, in a single game. Typically a low end pressure rating for a quarterback where he's well protected, you're going to see that number in terms of 20 to 25%. So it's like going to be like 20, 22% or something like that. And that's a good game for your offensive line. That's a great game for your offensive line uh, in today's NFL. Sometimes that number may be 15 or 20%. And occasionally you might get it down to like 12%. I think the lowest number, again, breezing through PFF, data this season, the lowest number I saw was 11% in one of the games earlier this season. The Falcons had less than uh, that uh, in terms of generating pressure in this game at 7.8%. So, uh, you know, this was like basically historically bad. So the analytics are telling us that the offensive line, while bad, mostly of that was on Dolman, Mayfield, and, and a couple of the tight ends missing some blocks. So it may not be something that we need to panic over. Obviously, they'll be tested again against Carolina, uh, who has had a number of success pressuring the quarterback uh, in their most recent matchups. And Matt Ryan has not particularly handled that pressure well in these last couple of Carolina matchups. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on to see if that continues or if the Falcons offensive line will bounce back now that they've been quote unquote embarrassed. And there have been times in the past where we've seen this unit embarrassed and they did bounce back the following week. So we'll see if that's on the horizon, but 
you know, while the offensive line wasn't terrible, it was, wasn't good. It was bad, but it wasn't terrible. Pass rush was indeed terrible. It was atrocious. And, you know, I'm sure many of you will find uh, ways to sort of attribute that to Stephen Means' return, uh, as you guys have often blamed all the Falcons' talent issues and pass rush issues, namely as on Stephen Means being that scapegoat. So not a good look for Stephen Means. The, the first game he comes back is like a historically bad pass rush day for the Falcons. So, um, you know, if you're curious – who were the guys that were getting the, those very limited pressures, only four pressures on the 50-plus dropbacks that Tom Brady had? It was Grady Jarrett, who had the one solitary hit, uh, and Dante Fowler for you, Alua Kun, and Fabian Moreau also had a pressure each. So we're going to get into more sort of quick hitters, looking at the analytics and the interesting PFF stats from this Week 13 game, including talking about what some of the skill position players like Mike Davis and Russell Gage did with some of their noteworthy stats, as well as look at which of the team's young nickel corners and Richie Grant and Darren Hall had the most power in slowing down Chris Godwin. Uh, but you guys listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money. Because with Boost, you get the power of a free 5G phone so you can listen to all the latest episodes of Lockdown Falcons, the power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line so your family can harness all that brain power too, and the power of one of America's largest 5G networks so you can do it all at the speed of 5G with all that money that you'll save and all that knowledge that you'll gain. Just how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile and find out. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save Boost Mobile. Free phone limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions apply. Offers and coverage not available everywhere or for all phones and networks. See BoostMobile.com for details. So Super Bowl 56 is at SoFi and it's less than a hundred days away and on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a once in a lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from an elite experience featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels and food by the great Wolfgang puck visit on location exp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's on location exp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location for more info. So let's get into some quick hitters uh, still on this analytics Tuesday, looking at some of the PFF numbers, Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson were each credited with forcing four missed tackles in this game. Patterson's all came in the ground game, giving him the sixth highest elusive rating among running backs. Uh, PFF's uh, sort of metric on that this past weekend on Sunday. Uh, Davis finished 14th out of 41 players in that elusive rating, but all four of his missed tackles forced came after the catch in the passing game. And that was the most of any running back this past week. And, and that's notable because that was one of the things that you saw out of Mike Davis last year when he was with Carolina, where his elusive rating, I think was the third best among running backs in the league behind, or at least top running backs in the league behind Nick Chubb and, and Tony Pollard. Uh, and he led the NFL in terms of 22 forced missed or missed tackles forced as a pass catcher last season. And, 
to me, this was this was the game where we saw Mike Davis look the most like the player that he was a year ago uh, since he's joined Atlanta. Um, and he was effective for the most part as a runner as well. He just only basically got what, like four or five or six carries or whatever the number was. Uh, so certainly looked like the the player as a pass catch and the, and the PFF numbers reflect that. And, and hopefully we can see more of this Mike Davis as you know the rest of the season wears on. Uh, and so we don't necessarily have to have as bitter a taste on the sort of the Mike Davis experience uh, as we've had so far this season. Uh, moving on to Russell Gage, who had a career high 11 catches for 130 yards. PFF charted eight of those catches and 102 of those yards coming against zone coverage. Although to be fair, that high number is due to the fact that the box predominantly played zone coverage. I think they were charted at having only like 10 to 15% of their coverage plays being in man coverage this game. And that's been something that the Bucks have done pretty consistently uh, over the last, you know, four or five weeks since their bye week, whenever that was in like week eight or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, so pretty much everybody had a, a most of their catches, if not all of their catches coming against zone in this game. The only uh, reception that PFF uh, charted as going against man for the Falcons receivers in this game was Alameda Zacchaeus's 30 yarder at the end of the game, practically in garbage time. And that's weird because, you know, the data isn't exactly complete because we only account for eight of Russell Gage's 11 catches in zone coverage. And he had zero catches in man coverage. So there's three catches and 28 yards, at least based off of PFF's charting that is unaccounted for, for what scheme it was going against. So that's a little wonky thing in PFF's data. So maybe there's a simple explanation for that, but I, I don't know what it is. Um, flipping to the other side of the ball where another player had a career high day, which was Chris Godwin, who had a career high 15 catches and then also had 143 yards, which was not a career high because his career high was in a 184 yard game he had against uh, the Falcons in 2019. Um, but, you know, pro football focus charted seven different Falcons defenders, allowing those 15 catches. Darren Hall gave up the most with four of those catches on, allowed on five targets uh, going up against Chris Godwin for 26 yards. But only one of those was a first down. Uh, Foya Aluakun was the second most with three receptions allowed for 20 yards uh, to Godwin. And then you had Richie Grant and Deron Harmon each giving up two catches for 32 yards and 15 yards respectively. So uh, Deion Jones was also credited with giving up a 36 yarder to Chris Godwin uh, that he had later in the, in the game where he was able to get behind the defense. So when you look at Darren Hall and, and Richie Grant a little bit more closely, Hall gave up a total of seven catches for uh, 43 yards on nine targets, according to PFF. And that only allowed about six yards per reception, which tells you a lot of it was sort of dinking and dunking stuff, which likely came in the second half of the game where we saw Richie Grant exit the game midway through the third quarter and Tampa Bay then around that time late in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter proceeded to go on some long drives, dinking and dunking and sort of bleeding away clock. And that was probably where uh, Darren Hall gave up the majority of those, you know, seven catches uh, late in the game, including several to Chris Godwin uh, at that point in time. Richie Grant was credited with giving up a total of five catches on six targets for 71 yards, which was a yards per reception of 14. Uh, and that was thanks to a couple of big plays. Uh, PFF credited Grant giving up that 25-yarder to Godwin early in the game where he kind of mossed him on a fade ball. And then the 36-yarder to Mike Evans. We talked about this in yesterday's episode where I kind of attributed it to A.J. Terrell. Uh, but PFF clearly attributed it to Richie Grant where the Falcons were in an inverted cover two uh, defense. And Richie Grant had sort of deep half responsibility. So they gave that credit 
to uh, Richie Grant giving up that 36 yarder to Mike uh, Evans. And sort of we'll revisit that. That's something else that we can talk a little bit more about or pay a little bit more attention to when we watch the all 22 on tomorrow's episode. So Grant received the lower of the two grades between these two guys in terms of uh, him and, and Darren Hall, likely due to those big plays dinging him a little bit more than Hall giving up a couple of, you know, dink and dunk stuff, but not necessarily giving up a lot of chain moving plays in that regard. So that's where we'll sort of leave it on the analytics portion of today's episode. Obviously we're going to get more into the all 22 on tomorrow's episode. And we can talk about some of these other things and revisit some of these topics. If things come up and I always welcome your feedback uh, for more things that you want me to dig into when we get into the film. And of course you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter via email at lockedonfalcons at mail.com. Twitter and Facebook is Locked On Falcons. You can also leave a comment here on the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel. And maybe you guys are listening or watching today's episode here on a variety of podcast platforms uh, like Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, as well as on YouTube. And you're sitting here saying, I, I'm, I'm actually enjoying Analytics Tuesday. And you want to sit here and say, hey, Aaron, you know, forget the Tuesday guest that you usually have. Let's have more Analytics Tuesdays. And maybe that means we can punt the guest into later in the week, possibly Friday, to maybe shake things up as the rest of the season. Uh, but that will still leave us with sort of our film review for Wednesday. And so if you want to provide that type of feedback, I'm also welcome to that if more of you guys want to see sort of the schedule get shaken up uh so we'll get into the film stuff you know obviously that's going to be tomorrow still on locked on falcons and that's what we're bound for on tomorrow's episode but what we're bound for to continue to wrap up today's locked on falcons podcast is talking about the roster moves that the team made on monday and we'll talk quite a bit about hayden hurst and whether we'll see more contributions from him via the passing game over these final five games but in life, you're all bound for different things with beachbound.com vacations. You could be bound for adventure, bound for passion, bound for discovery, or bound for togetherness, bound for immersion, bound for rejuvenation, or maybe you'll be bound for encountering the unexpected. Personally, when I go to a beach resort, I'm going to wine and dine myself. And whether that's poolside or on the sands, listening to the crash of the waves, as long as I got a good view and a good drink in my hand, I'll be happy as a clam with beachbound.com. You can find the perfect beach vacation for you, no matter what you're looking for, what are you bound for? Just visit beachbound.com today to find out. So wrapping up today's Locked on Falcons, we're talking about the roster moves that the Falcons made on Monday. The most significant one was designating Hayden Hurst from return from the injury reserve with the ankle injury. And the Falcons did waive two players as well. The two players that they waived were punter Dustin Colquitt and tight end Parker Hesse. Uh, well, first, technically, before they waived Colquitt, they activated him off the COVID reserve list where he's been the last two weeks, and then they waived him. Uh, and that puts those two roster moves put the Falcons down to 51 players on the roster, assuming one of those spots goes to Hayden Hurst uh, at some point this week. And, and that's sort of why we assume that the Falcons cut uh, Parker Hesse that will leave with them with a roster vacancy. And we'll sort of see what later in the week, where, how the Falcons decide to fill it. Uh, in addition to Hayden Hurst, uh, who, you know, this player wasn't designated for return, but Darren Bates, the Falcons backup linebacker did go on injury reserve the same week as Hayden Hurst with a growing injury. So technically he is able, able to return to practice this week. And we'll just sort of have to see how that goes for him, but maybe that roster spot is reserved for the Falcons later in this week. If they need to make a roster move um, for one of the players that got injured 
on Sunday against Tampa Bay. And those are most prominently Fabian Moreau dealing with a hamstring injury, Richie Grant and Ade Ogundeji who were dealing with ankle injuries uh, late in, in that game. So maybe the Falcons will make another roster move later this week to fill one of those spots if one of those guys is out. And so, you know, the fact that they're keeping a roster spot open means that they believe a roster move is imminent. So imminent. So that means either one of these injuries is probably a little bit more serious than we think, or the Falcons are planning on bringing somebody up. Maybe that's Quadri Wilson from the practice squad. Who knows at this point though? So we can endlessly speculate, but let's talk a little bit more about Hayden Hurst. And the last time we really talked about Hayden Hurst in earnest came on the heels of that Dallas game where on the all 22 review episode, I believe that week uh, on the Wednesday, we talked about how Hayden Hurst was kind of misusing that Cowboys game before he ultimately suffered an injury late in that game in garbage time. And that was a game where the Falcons were without Lee Smith, their normal blocking tight end. And the Falcons essentially, and I was critical of Arthur Smith for essentially turning Hayden Hurst in that game to a blocking tight end. He only ran routes on seven plays and was blocking on 16 plays in that Dallas game. And we talked about that as a prominent example of some of the shortcomings uh, that Arthur Smith has shown in terms of his coaching and, and play calling or whatever you want to call it. Because at that time, you know, the central topic of conversation was the lack of talent that the Falcons had at the wide receiver position and the fact that other teams made adjustments by featuring more of the running backs and tight ends in their passing a game when they had a, a lackluster room of wide receivers like the Falcons arguably had then and arguably have now, although Russell Gage's performance these last couple of weeks means that their wide receiver room does not look as barren as it probably looked to a lot of folks three weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, the fact fact that the Falcons didn't decide to utilize Hayden Hurst and just basically relegated him to being a blocking tight end, which is the biggest weakness of his game, um, to me was a testament to some of the shortcomings that Arthur Smith had been showing up to that point. You know, we can have a conversation, we can have a debate, I'm sure, over whether he's shown progress at that point in time. There's signs of it. There's still things that he needs to improve upon, in my opinion. But, you know, let's just be positive for once. Uh, on this podcast and say maybe the arrow is pointing in the right direction. And, and maybe that means that we'll see more of Hayden Hurst uh, as a pass catcher. Uh, and that's really what we kind of expected from him, this sort of one-two punch with him and Kyle Pitts. And now you have an inline tight end in Hayden Hurst uh, because you've utilized him so much as a blocker uh, that you can line him up in line and have him run your typical tight in routes uh, instead of having plays like we saw on Sunday where you have Lee Smith running some of these crossers and, and whatnot. That's not a great look and um you know it's interesting because Hayden Hurst this summer we saw the reports that he had dropped weight I can't remember exactly how much it was but I want to say it was like 15 pounds we did a podcast about it earlier in August uh and, and talked about what the implications of that were and so the fact that you know basically Hayden Hurst uh, dropped all that weight to basically be utilized more as a blocking tight end than he has been since he left Baltimore uh just to me was just misusage by the part of the Falcons coaching staff. And, you know, it's interesting when, when we talk about Hayden Hurst and for me personally, cause I'm petty, but you know, I go back and I think of all the debates and arguments I had in the spring and summer of 2020 talking to Falcon fans that insisted to me that Hayden Hurst was going to be this upgrade over Austin Hooper or was going to be this tight end that Matt Ryan's never had before different than Tony Gonzalez and different than Austin Hooper and different than anybody else that Matt Ryan has had. And now, you know, given how people talk about Hayden Hurst, you know, if I just only had a time machine to go back and, and show the tweets, I guess you could say, uh, you know, I'd be having a field day there. So not to, you know, we're going to, 
rehash this argument, but we're not going to get too, too deep into it as I often do. Uh, but, you know, that's just a classic case of a narrative uh, where, you know, just like the narrative now is that the team is talentless or lacking in talent. That's the sort of the current narrative that you have with this team. And, you know, that's what fans do. They create narratives, right? And that's usually, you know, what I mean by that is they're usually not takes based off of detailed research or film study. It's just most of the time it's something that fans say or, or tell themselves to make them feel better about their football team, which is fine, but you know, it's not true more often than not. And it's again, it's not to sit here and say that the Falcons talent level, when we're talking about the current narrative is makes them one of the upper tier teams in the NFL um, because they're not. Um, and, you know, but particularly when you look at the talent level of the offense, you know, I certainly think this offense is more than talented enough to be a middle of the pack offense rather than this bottom seven or whatever offense that they are. Um, and to me, Hayden Hurst kind of embodies that because um, Hayden Hurst is not an upper tier tight end. Um, but last year you saw him being 10th among tight ends and receptions. He was 14th among tight ends and yards. And that basically makes him when given the opportunity an average to above average starting NFL tight end. Um, and you know, that's kind of what I feel like the Falcons offense has the capable capability of being and not necessarily belabor this point, but I, I think a lot of people are saying the Falcons lack talent because, you know, they see a bunch of players of Hayden Hurst's ability or caliber and see these players that are, you know, on a 10 point scale would be considered fives out of tens and feel like, you know, those are players that don't belong on NFL rosters when they don't really understand that most NFL rosters are built with those players. The vast majority of players that are at least starting in the NFL are players of that tier of players. And, you know, the whole point of having good coaches is that you can take a player that is a five in terms of talent and elevate him to a six or, or possibly more or whatever the case may be. And that's how good coaches maximize their sort of mid tier players. And you're not really seeing that with the Falcons, at least not on a consistent basis. You saw that on Sunday with Russell Gage uh, cooking the, you know, bucks in terms of their zone coverage. But outside of that, you know, you know, maybe Mike Davis, you can say certainly in the passing game in that regard. So again, as I said earlier, positive signs uh, that we're seeing more of that uh, from Arthur Smith. And hopefully we will continue to see more of that with Hayden Hurst's return to the lineup. But I think that's, you know, talking about that Bucks game, I, I think part of it is you look at a team like the Bucks, who obviously just won the Super Bowl with this really talented roster. You know, certainly I would love to hear someone argue against it. Uh, the, the, certainly the most talented team uh, in the league last year from top to bottom with a stacked roster at every single position in, in a top five unit at every single position. I think that's skewing people's perception is that's how you're supposed to be. And like, that's a rarity in the NFL to have a team as stacked as that Bucks team was to win the Super Bowl as it was last year. But, you know, we've seen, uh, again, I don't think the Bucks are as good this year in part due to injuries and other issues, but, you know, it's one of those things where we've seen this Bucks team look a lot more vulnerable despite this overwhelming talent that they have. Uh, they've gotten beaten by teams like Washington and New Orleans, and no one's going to sit here and tell me that the Falcons are significantly worse teams than those teams because, you know, they should have beaten Washington and they did beat New Orleans in this game. And then you saw them, uh, you know, what, two weeks ago against the Colts where they were down big against the Colts. And certainly you can say, oh, the Colts have a dominant offensive line and, and a dominant running back. But outside of that, you know, there's there's not a whole lot different that you looking at the Colts. Certainly, you know, 
we would like to believe that Matt Ryan's better than Carson Wentz at this point in time. But, you know, the Colts leading pass catcher in that game was Jack Doyle, who's a tight end who's no better than Hayden Hurst at this point in time. And it's like it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, I think there's this perception that, um, you know, you have to be this talent-laden team to be competitive. And I think Sunday's action proved that that's not the case, where the Falcons were competitive for about two and a half quarters with, quote-unquote, terrible talent with quote unquote bottom tier talent or whatever the case may be. And, and, and again, going back to that Colts game, like I think Tom Brady was like the least pressured quarterback in the, in, in the league that week or when they played the Colts where it was 22%, which again was indicative of uh, why they're, you know, the Colts weren't able to get effective pressure in that game. Obviously 22% is significantly more than 8%. So the Falcons still have a ways to go there. But the point is that that was on the lower tier in terms of, of their pass rush. So it's not as if like, you know, the Colts are have this rock solid front four that's dominating uh, teams in, in a way different than the Falcons. They're better than the Falcons. Trust me. Uh, I'm not suggesting otherwise, but I'm just saying like, it's not like we're, we're talking about, you know, the 2019 49ers pass rush in that regard. So, you know, I, I think the whole talent narrative that our fan base keeps insisting is really boils down to, our fan base underestimating the capabilities of players like Hayden Hurst currently on the Falcons roster and or overestimating the, the capabilities of players on other teams rosters like the Jack Doyles or the Taylor Heineke's or whatever the case may be and acting like, you know, all these other teams are these talent later teams that can go and punch teams like the Bucks in the mouth. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's why I push so hard against that narrative because I just don't think it's necessarily true. Not because I think the Falcons are this juggernaut of a roster. I just think, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's a, it's an easy, convenient narrative and the scapegoat to justify whatever people's opinions are. And we won't get into why people seem to be, you know, saying that in order to feel better about their team or better about the quarterback, at least not on today's episode. Maybe we can talk about that on tomorrow's Q&A as you guys send in questions uh, here at Locked on Falcons on Facebook or Twitter or via email at Locked on Falcons at mail.com or leave a comment here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube page. And of course, I always want to thank you guys for making Locked on Falcons your first listen. I always have recommendations for your second listen. Of course, that can be the local shows here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. That's Locked on Bulldogs, Locked on Braves, Locked on Hawks. Or you should also check out Locked on Bets if you want to get a little bit of extra money for this holiday season. Of course, handicapping expert Lee Sterling is bringing you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and his lock of the day every single day on the Locked on Bets podcast. And just like Locked on Falcons, Locked on Bets is on the same platforms that Locked on Hawks and Locked on Braves and Locked on Bulldogs is on. That's Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and of course, Several of those shows like Lockdown Falcons are also free and available on YouTube. If you like it, subscribe it, hit that like, leave a comment, all that jazz. So that's going to do it for us here with a slightly different format on Analytics Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow with an all 22 review and Q&A. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Appreciate it. Till then.